bet I could see all these places faster. I didn't have all these damn boxes to click. Welcome back to the Grumpy PA podcast. Um, I'm one of your hosts, Paul. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that's near and dear to my heart, T-Tri-C, and, and really how we make sure that we're training our medics and getting around to it. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, I had the the fortune of one of my Bullock uh, buddies calling me up and being like, hey, man, I'm a one year out of, out of the course, 70 Bravo, who's looking to, to train my medics. My PA keeps telling me they're just CLS qualified and they're not really any good at trauma and, and all this stuff. And I want to make them better and I want to make them the best medics that are out there. How do I, how do I do that? What do I need to be training and, and what's some really cool special operations or, or some kind of fancy training that we can do? And my question to him at that point was, well, man, can they do T-Tri-C? Can they do the basics? And his answer was that some of them could right? You know, some of them could do that basic stuff, but not all of them. And so really, he needed to focus on that stuff. Because what makes the difference between a good PA, or rather a good medic, and a a great medic or a bad medic and a great medic is being able to do those basic things, right? Trauma is super easy. It's something that we can do, you know, I, I used to call it Mongo medicine, you stop the bleeding, start the breathing. And as long as you've got those two things, really trauma is kind of pretty straightforward. And, and once you get those two things established, you're able to take some time and, and, and sit back. Um, so I've got with me today, I've got Grumpy PA, he's going to help us talk about this stuff, figure out a better way to, to, to get at it and make sure that we're training our medics. So with that being said, hey, Grumpy, how you doing today? Doing great, man. I, I love the intro. It's hilarious. Uh, uh, Mongo medicine is uh, spot on because uh, that's that's the hard truth right is a little bit of elbow grease and pressure it'll fix a lot of problems um and i think it's a great point too the uh, the idea that uh, you got to get the basics down everybody does want to run off and they're like i want to be a paramedic and i want to be a flight paramedic and i'm going to do all this cool stuff but it starts with direct pressure right and uh we know that from some science we're going to dip, dip into today a little bit of research that we've done uh, direct pressure fixes uh, most of the preventable causes of death on the battlefield. Uh, and then uh, we'll transition on from there. But I think it's a great topic. I'm looking forward to getting into it with you. All right, cool, man. So let's let's talk about this from the beginning. Where did we get T-Tri-C? Like what, what inspired the Army to adopt T-Tri-C? So that's a, that's a really cool story that uh, I only recently heard the whole part of. Uh, you know, I told you before, I've been a PA about 10 years now, and I've heard of TC3, knew of it, and kind of incorporated it and saw a lot of the data. But um, would you believe me if I told you it was an ophthalmologist in the Navy that came up with this? <laughs> really? Like, a, like an eye guy? What was he doing doing trauma? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, so it, it turns out he was a, a uh, Navy SEAL before he went to med school and became an ophthalmologist. Uh, and uh, his story, his name's uh, uh, Captain uh, Frank Butler. He's retired now, but he's been a big play in the the, the Committee on Tactical Combat, Casualty Care, and all those other things. But um, he gave a speech, actually, uh, or gave a class to some ER residents that were graduating about a year ago that I got to sit in and listen to and hear the origin story of TC3. And he, he tells the story that uh, he got tasked with uh, looking into uh, battlefield medicine and what they were teaching. And he took it on and he brought his tactical experience from his previous life in. And uh, he was an ophthalmologist at the time, but um, all that previous experience came to bear. And so with uh, the team that uh, he was working with, 
they they looked back and they uh, they dug into this thing called the Walker Dip, which uh, I'll put some references into the uh, show notes there for you. But if you don't know what the Walker Dip is, the uh, the short story is that in between each major war, all the experience and learning that we did, we forget. Those guys retire. In some cases, they pass away as they get older. And we forget the last war's lessons. And uh, we did that post-Vietnam. And uh, so as we came into the 90s, there were a whole bunch of lessons we had learned all the way back to World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, that all of a sudden we were we were we were uh, we had departed from those lessons to the point where combat lifesaver was all about sticking IVs and, and starting uh, normal sailing as fast as you could. And uh, a tourniquet was the last thing that we would do after we let you bleed to death and try to pressure dressing over and over. And so uh, <clears throat> what Captain Butler and the entire COTSI got together to do, or, or it didn't exist at that time, the COTSI was a, a later on development. But what this team did is they looked back at all those battlefield lessons from Vietnam and they really broke it down to what were, what, what percentage of these casualties were survivable and which ones weren't. And when they broke down the survivable, they said, okay, what was the injury pattern of these survivables? And uh, when they looked, they, they came up with three or four recurring answers. And the first, the biggest one was exsanguination from extremity trauma. And, uh, and that's a, that was a simple fix. They're like, tourniquets fix that shit. Uh, but unfortunately, tourniquet was on the bottom of the list of, of things we did to that first. Uh, and, you know, I remember coming in, I enlisted uh, originally back in 95 in the guard. And I remember going through these trainings as a, as a, a first responder and eventually combat lifesaver where, you, you'd put a pressure dressing on and wait five minutes and then you'd look and if it was still soaked with blood, you'd put another pressure dressing on top of it for five minutes and then check it. And if that was soaked with blood, then maybe you'd do a tourniquet, but we really shouldn't. And even that was and, uh, a couple uh, steps, right? But I mean, back in the day, there, I yeah. remember there was a period of time where it was apply pressure, you know, manually with your finger, hold it for a couple minutes. If you can't get it with that, then you're supposed to elevate it above the heart for a couple minutes. And then maybe you get to do a pressure dressing. And then, you know, once they've died, then you get to put the tourniquet on, right? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so tourniquets are less effective once the bleeding's already stopped uh, from exsanguination is what the, the long story is. Uh, so the bleeding will stop eventually. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's true. It does. <laughs> but um, yeah, so they looked at that and they, and they brought that to bear. And some of that lesson came out of Somalia and uh, Task Force Ranger that was there and some of the stories. Uh, some of that was from the Vietnam era, but basically what they did is they brought to bear evidence to say what medical training should be. And they kind of had to fight some people that were stuck in the not battlefield medicine mindset. Uh, they were very much of the clinical variety back in the United States. And it was it was a slow roll. But some of the guys that were in the special operations community that, that jumped on board with this started to come out of the special operations community and, and penetrate out into the conventional force. And the big one they point out is, uh, I think it was 115 Infantry and 3ID uh, that uh, their battalion surgeon and their, their medical team got together and basically adopted these TC3 concepts of stop, stop bleeding early with a tourniquet right up front, and then we'll get it under control and figure it from there. They added in some airway stuff for a crash airway for cricothyrotomy. They um, added in uh, needle chest decompressions for tension pneumos. And, and with that, they captured a huge percentage of these survivable uh, events that, you know, they were saying, hey, these people with these interventions probably would have survived to at least surgery, if not further. And, um, you know, 115 Infantry had worked them in in the early days of the Iraq invasion in 2003. 
And they came back with some really great numbers and they, they basically said, Hey, our, our survivable rate was way higher than the rest of the conventional force. And, um, that's really when it started to take, take foot. And, uh, that's when you started to see Kotzi show up. That's when you saw that the TCMC course show up for deploying role one, role two providers. And, uh, you started to see the incorporation of this sad story. Uh, that was, you know, 2003, 2004, 2005, you saw some publications around 2006 and uh, you want to take a bet when the DOD finally adopted COTC and TCCC standards as the uh, as the I'm going to go forward. with at least one decade later. That's that's not bad, actually. Maybe a little longer. I think it was 2018 <laughs> or 19 that the DOD was like, "Wow, this works." Um, now, there's a lot of different reasons for that. CENTCOM beat them to the punch by a little bit, and I think CENTCOM was like, "Hey, you will do TC3 training before this." Um, but there was—I I didn't realize this until then. Like uh, my entire time as a battalion PA from 2011 to 2015, down inside the BCT, I was doing TC3 because I had been taught it at TCMC, and I, I was reading literature and found it to be true and right. Um, but it wasn't actually the standard. Uh, it was it was it was the standard in some regards within the 68 whiskey met, uh, training and, and the combat lifesaver transition. But uh, we never really got the the all the way until 2018. So it, it penetrated and that, it made a huge difference. Uh, you can look back to, you know, uh, Colonel Cottonwall's article of uh, eliminating preventable death on the battlefield. And they put out some great data on what the Ranger Regiment did. And we're going to talk about them in a minute here on what they did and how they did it. Um, but yeah, TC3 is, it, it really is science-based looking back at the evidence of what happened in Vietnam, applying those corrective actions and, and what we could do to, to actually save savable lives or savable lives, and then um, coming back and incorporating that in and making a, a system for it. Uh, and so a, a great success story um, and still ongoing uh, the, they're not, they're not done. The Katsi still runs and still makes all those things. And, and what that's, uh, what that's been coming informing is the, the joint trauma system CPGs that, um, the Katsi makes recommendations to and, and participates in and the joint trauma system itself, uh, does some great jobs with that. So if you're a new PA and you're like, you're hearing this origin story for the first time, do yourself a favor and, and get into it. Um, we'll post a couple of things in the show notes. And then also, you know, if you haven't seen a JTS CPG, you got to get them out. You got to get them out. You got to drill them. You got to know them, uh, particularly the ones that apply into the role one, role two space, uh, because that's that's where your answers are on on what we're doing and why we're doing. So it. so just real quick, I, I realize we, we've been talking about the COTC and TTRIC. So COTC is the committee of TTRIC. That's the governing body um, that regulates uh, like the TTRIC guidelines and publishes those JTS uh, guidelines. Um, and so they're a little slow sometimes, right? They're, they, it's an army organization. It takes a minute. Uh, but that's what COTC is, is the committee of TTRIC. And then, and then TTRIC is tactical combat casualty care, right? Um, and so looking back at my personal growth through this, you know, I came in as a, as a special forces medic, was directly thrown into TTRIC. I thought that was a standard. I mean, until like we, we were talking recently, I thought TTRIC was what the army ran. Um, some of the PAs that I went to school with, you know, they missed TCMC. They haven't been there yet. And they were signal officers. They were um, S1 officers. They weren't, they had no medical background. And so TCMC is a week long course. It's fantastic, um, but it's only a week. And so if, if you think you're going to go to TCMC and get everything that you need to know to train TTRIC, you're wrong, right? So, you know, 18 Delta, that special operations community, we spent six months training trauma, right? And that was, that was just to, 
to learn it at the medic level, not at the provider level. Um, so I, there is there's some room to grow, I think, in the in the TCMC BTC three stuff. But I think it's a great foundation and it's a great way to open up um, and and to get that exposure so that you know what you're what you've got going on. So TCMC, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, centrally funded course or is it a unit funded course? Like if, if you're sitting in the battalion and you were one of those officers that missed it at Bolick uh, or 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 whatever, is there a way for you to get there without the unit having to fork over that money? Yeah, absolutely. It is it is a centrally funded course, and uh, you look it up. Uh, you can reach out. Mr. Brett Smith is down there. He is uh, uh, one of the program leads. Uh, he's been doing a great job with it since all the way back when I was uh, waiting for PA school in 2009 to start. Uh, I was hanging out over in TCMC, and I thank goodness that I had that opportunity to see that because otherwise I was a uh, an infantry officer, among other things, because I transitioned in, um, and I, I hadn't seen it, and I didn't know it, and so it actually sparked me into some reading. And I think at this point, um, most of the uh, there, there's been an, a goal to get every single PA into TCMC before they arrive to their first unit. That basically you jump into TCMC at the end of Bullock. Uh, some classes have had better success than that than others. Um, I think as I was talking to your class and some of your classmates, that uh, sounds like that's pretty steady now, but it's still not formalized. Um, and so when I say that, um, it, it really needs to be that the TC, there's a TCMC class that is the first week after Bullock graduates and every single PA is locked in to attend. Um, that is kind of happening unofficially, but uh, when personalities change, then all of a sudden that goes away. And when a unit's like, well, no, we need our guy here, um, your, your unit has got to understand how valuable that is to you, especially if you haven't seen it. Um, if you've been a, an 18 Delta medic, um, then yeah, you might you might be okay to to miss that course, but you're going to get a nice appreciation for the change from uh, the, you know operating on a team, and now all of a sudden you're running an aid station training medics, and so it's a nice opportunity to go through it. I actually just attended it before uh, uh, the, in the last couple of months. I, I went to it right before I headed out the door um, on a deployment. And uh, still value added to me, uh, you know, 10 years later to go back through and put hands on things and do things and see it. Um, for the newer PAs, it's absolutely the the best possible introduction you can get to where you're heading in the role one, role two realm and uh, what you, what the expectations are and how to train your medics. Um, as far as seat available, I tell you, the class I just attended was packed full of some enlisted folks. Um, which was great uh, for them because they were getting up their TC3 standards and, and probably training above the, the goal level that um, um, you might hope for. Uh, but I think that was fantastic. I, I remember all the way back in 2013, the last time I attended before this, uh, you know, I was just trying to get my treatment NCO and hoping they'd let me. But I was also trying to take my brigade dentist and my brigade physical therapist and all these people that would benefit from uh, this type of training. If, you know, if we were doing a mass cal and a role two. Uh, seats were a little tighter then. It seems the seats are a little more open right now. And so you might have some success with that. Um, but as a matter of fact, I was one of only two PAs in the, in the TCMC class. Whereas, you know, you go back when I came through the first time, um, it was almost exclusively PAs, the occasional battalion surgeon, uh, the occasional treatment NCO. And so uh, the, the seats are there. And if you're a new PA and haven't been to that course, you have to get this. You, you need to get down there. You just need to go to, to Fort Sam. They are running it currently through the COVID restrictions. They're, they're working on uh, some different aspects of it. It might be a little harder until those things ease up. Um, but yeah, you need to get there and, and see it. Yeah. And Paul, and I just, you just told me on the side here that uh, actually uh, 
officer transitions through LIPAP aren't required to attend that. And that, that's just terrifying to me, right? Because the, the 68 Whiskey Medic or the 18 Delta that comes through the course probably doesn't need to get to TCMC. They probably are going to learn or know a lot of that already. But that, that signal corps officer, that chemical officer, that guy that used to fly a helicopter that's coming across, that's the man. They need that. They need it more than anybody else. All right. So earlier you mentioned that the the Ranger Regiment was one of the earliest units to adopt T-Tri-C. Um, you know, it, and they it's pretty amazing what they were able to do with that. Right. So so when they adopted T-Tri-C, they saw their casualty rates or the, their mortality rates plummet. Um, you know, they've got one of the highest risk missions. They were taking more casualties than anyone else. And yet their actual mortality rate is below that of the Army. Um, you know, I, it's one of the, the, the reason that I think that that is, um, is that every unit has its big priorities, right? That some people call it the, the big five. Uh, and for Ranger Regiment, in the top three of those is medical, uh, medical training, medical readiness, but not the BS medical readiness that's PHAs and, and the, that other administrative side piece. It, it's the actual making sure that your guys are trained and not just your medics, making sure that everyone in the formation is trained up on T-Tri-C. And I think that's something that we're, we haven't gotten to in the conventional army yet. So let's talk about how we train yeah. uh, T-Tri-C and how we actually get our units and, and our, our soldiers ready to go to war and take care of their buddies. Yeah. Uh, but perfect, perfect transition because uh, the Ranger Regiment's got a, a wonderful success story there and is exceptionally professional. I'll share a personal story. I uh, actually crashed into the SOCOM SC course, which is the two week 18 Delta research that they kind of do every couple of years, got to audit that and just sit and listen. And it was helpful for me to again, see, the similar thought process and training. And I, uh, I walked up uh, to a group that included an E4 Ranger medic, 68 whiskey one. And uh, that guy shamed me into uh, like, man, I've got to get my shit together because this kid can actually do TC3 uh, better than I could, could hope to at this point. And um, it's a, it's a great success story, but uh, one, one caveat I'll tell you, and, and I think that this is out there is I always looked at those numbers, the Ranger Regiment put together and I was like, man, you gotta, you gotta be a little careful, uh, just, just diving on this stuff right off because they do fall under the soft community. And so, um, they can pull some strings to get some surgical assets further forward and do some different stuff. You know, they kind of get the pick of the litter. Like if you don't know, uh, the Ranger battalions, uh, I don't, I think they still do, but at one point they actually had two PAs for each battalion plus their surgeon. So they're a little fatter in the medical realm than, than your average line conventional force, right? So there's that. But uh, I, I'm not going to try to take anything away from the regiment because I've seen what they do and I've seen the success story. And, and that's that's what we got to hone in on is, is less about that because that's not why they're, they're survivable. They're survivable because they're Ranger First Responder Program. Uh, every single infantryman is no shit trains medical skill tasks and their medics are training at a level to do the TC three things exceptionally well. And so um, you mentioned uh, um, the, 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 the way they train their big five, you know, it's in their top three. And I think I've been in multiple brigades where medicals in the, in the top five, but just getting it in the top five isn't, isn't the answer. Because as you probably know, and what you'll see in the conventional force, a lot of times we're doing platoon sticks, squad live fires, whatever it is. And we're like, oh, we got a casualty. And they call the medic. Medic comes trotting up, drops his aid bag, and everybody's like, all right, index. Uh, well, that, that doesn't happen in the Ranger Regiment. The first thing that uh, they do is 
is the tactical leader owns the medical piece that nobody looks at the medic and goes teach us medical shit the squad leaders the team leaders the platoon sergeants the platoon leaders the company command they own medical and they train it just like they're proficient in their weapon systems they're proficient in their medical skills and so the tactical leader owns it and i tried to sell this in conventional forces i was like hey you have to own this like you have to incorporate this into every training event um, and I think that's, that's what they do is that they, they, they're like, Hey, we're doing a platoon raid. And by the way, we're going to suffer two casualties and, um, they don't index when the Ranger medic gets there. They index when the TC threes piece is done. And when I say that, I mean that they go through care under fire, they transition to tactical field care, and then they medevac or tachevac. And then at that point, um, that's when the tactical leader then is, is off the hook for training and they can index. Now, they've got some additional capability and, and funding and different ways that they train that I, I would bet dollars to donuts that they don't stop training then because then the, the TACAVAC and MEDEVAC platforms are picking up their training for them and uh, driving that all the way home. And so what that goes to is realism of training, right? Um, and that's that's like a ranger medic doesn't reach in his bag and go, oh, I put in a chest tube. A ranger medic goes in his bag, pulls out his chest tube kit, and then cuts something uh, or or does the skill the way that they would out of their aid bag uh, with their knees in the dirt getting shot at. And they train to that realism standard. And so that's that's what we have to bring to the conventional forces, that that idea and concept of training. Like you, squad leader, you own this. Like get a medevac, tachevac platform here and care for that casualty. You have a medic to assist. You have your first responders. Um, I, I love that, you know, everywhere in the 82nd, they try to mimic the Ranger Regiment, like, uh, the brigade I was in was uh, the Panthers, old third brigade, and they, they had PFR. It was a Panther first responder instead of Ranger first responder. And uh, I'm not picking on 382 because every single other brigade I've seen has something similar. Uh, but it, it's good. And it, what, it's what they're trying to emulate and what they're trying to pick up on is fantastic. And so I encourage it a thousand percent. But that means like there, there is no simulation. There's no, oh, yeah, well, at this point I would put in an NPA. Shut up. Put an NPA in. Oh, I put in a chest tube. Super. Here's a chest tube trainer. Put a chest tube in. And uh, that's the standard they train to. That's what that, that specialist did at Stockholm SC in front of me that I was like, oh, shit, I've been I've been talking a game, but I, I can't dance in this uh, this dance. This game. Yeah, man. So so you, you hit a couple things that I just want to reemphasize. Right. One, train to medevac. Right. Go through the entire process. Um, the other piece that, that we, you mentioned was that everybody's involved. And you really, again, you have to focus on that because my experience has shown that the PA, the medic, they're never going to be there when these guys get hit, right? It's always going to be some infantry grunt or, you know, the motor pool NCO who's going to be there when kid gets run over by tracks in the motor pool or kid gets shot, right? Like it's always a non-medical person. And so making sure that that training is actually being pushed down and is being absorbed right like i've never taught a people a, a group of people that were more interested in medical stuff than a group of infantry kids right because they know at the end of the day they're the ones that are going to have to take care of their buddy and they they care about that they want to to learn how to do that and so if we can provide them with that that's going to be huge and then the last thing that just it can't be said enough is realism right so making sure that people aren't being fed information. You want a pulse rate? You better give me a pulse rate, right? Take the real pulse and then tell me what that is. And then I'll correct it as the, as the, the cadre, as the PA that's for providing the medical scenario. I need a real pulse, a real uh, respiratory rate, a real blood pressure. You better be taking those with your actual equipment 
um, and and not just telling me, oh well, his what's his pulse? Well, I don't. I need you to 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 get the actual pulse, and then I'll give you that. Oh, okay, maybe his pulse is one ten, right? Um, all right. So I have enough of that. How do I do this though, right? How do I get out of my clinic, and how do I get down and and teach my medics, teach my infantry kids, teach my mechanics how to do T tri C? Like, how do I escape? Yeah. So uh, we talked about it in episode one, you know, where we said, why is this happening to me and how busy you are? Right. And uh, um, you look at the clip art for this episode today. It's a very sad, grumpy PA stuck in the clinic while his medics are outside playing, uh, doing Katsi stuff. Right. Uh, So that's that's the hard truth, man. And uh, what I found over years and years is uh, step one is you got to pick what you're going to fail at today and set yourself up for success tomorrow. And when I say that, I mean, hey, today's clinic day and I'm going to do two or three days of clinic and that's all I'm going to do because that's all I can do. And I'm going to fail at training the medics for two or three days. But when I go to train the medics, then don't call me about clinic shit. I don't care if they, if they're not literally dying in my hands and can't get to the ER faster then I'm training medics. And if they're dying in front of me and I got medics to train, we're going to train the shit out of trying to keep that person alive right there. Um, so pick, pick what you're going to fail at and, and recognize and be okay and know that you're not the only one failing at one or the other on a, any given day. I, I literally, I spent four and a half years down inside of BCT picking what I was going to fail at each day so that I could set up for success later. Now, Picking uh, one to fail at doesn't mean you can ignore it. And this is where kind of the next point is, right? And this is where we talked about in the previous episode. You got to get in and talk to your battalion commander. You got to talk to your staff. Well, what you need to know how to do is operate within the Army's eight-week training calendar concept, right? And this just goes down to what they call Army training management or training management. Uh, They change the name every couple of years on you just to keep you uh, on your toes, Um, But it's the concept of having a short range training calendar and a long range training calendar. Right. And so your long range is looking big, broad strokes like we're going to JRTC in 10 months. And uh, after that, we're deploying next year, whatever that looks like. But down inside that six to eight week range, that short range training calendar, you know, we start briefing T weeks backwards. Right. And we start at T8 and we're like, what's happening in T8? And uh, and the idea is that as T8 gets closer and becomes T7, 6, 5, 4, 3, um, resources are getting locked in, realism is getting locked in. And you got to kind of understand that. And if you don't understand it, you need to sit down with a mentor and be like, hey, what the hell is this guy talking about? Because units that are successful own that short range training calendar and, and abide, uh, they, they abide by it. Um, meaning that if they put something on there and it's eight weeks out and they're going to train it, that is that. And you, you'll hear people say this, that that's a contract between the battalion commander and that platoon leader or that PA or that medic that, I'm going to support that training the way you described it to me. I'm not going to call you and pull you off it. So I've gone, I've gone to battalion commanders and said, uh, you know, hey, you, you, you signed this contract with me. We're inside eight weeks, and sometimes we're inside one week. And uh, you told me we were going to do this, and I need you to stick to it. And they're like, hey, I, I got it, Grandpa. We, we hear you, but uh, there's this other set of problems. Well, the really good units I've been in, uh, they, they work with me. And uh, the, the ones that uh, are not so good uh, have no regard for that training calendar. And so uh, that, that's a commitment by you, too. You're the other signature on that contract with that battalion commander. Like, I'm going to go do this training and I'm going to do it to standard. I'm not wasting these medics time. I'm not asking you to, to let the medics out of this silly task that the Army's come up with for them to do. Um, I'm asking you to let me go train to standard. And I promise you I'm going to bring them back as fast as I can. 
Um, and that's that's what we get to with the, the long and short range training calendars and army training. Management. And when you sit down with that BC, you know, one of the, the, the ways that I've had the most success when they start bucking under that, you know, one week, two week. Oh, I need you to do this other thing instead of what you're doing. You just got to correlate it to body bags, right? Correlate it to body bags, correlate it to re- letters that they're going to have to write for the rest of their life. If I don't train medical, right, if we don't get that training, people die. And, and, and that's something that they don't want to write those letters. And, and so they're going to, to realize at least the good ones, figure it out and, and we'll, we'll, we'll set you up and make sure that you haven't the training equipment, the time, all the resources that you need, and they'll make sure that the people show up. Yeah. And uh, you, you're right, man. The, the, the ones that have written those letters and they're still writing those letters, those are your easiest sell. They're going to come to you and be like, hey, grandpa, um, I'm sick of writing these letters. Uh, I want my squad leaders to own this shit and I want them running. I want this training real. Uh, they're, they're, the, they're the easy sell. The harder sells are the ones that, um, are, that don't get it yet. And so you got to go back and, and convince them and you've got to put data in front of them. You got to talk to them about Walker Dips. Quick interjection here. There's an article posted in the show notes about the Walker dips and understanding what that means. Here's where we're talking about losing capacity or losing experience over time, either people getting out of the military. Uh, but the further you get away from the conflict, the more likely that those experiences are forgotten and lost. And that's what we saw in the post-Vietnam period until we came into the GWAT era and really into the 90s when TC3 started. But you see it after every conflict. You saw it after World War II. You saw it after Korea. Uh, and you'll continue to see it, and we're do we're going through it right now. So check out that article and understand that concept. Well, I think we've uh, we've been chatting enough. We're gonna post some links. We'll put the JPS guideline link on on the show notes. Um, there'll be a couple other things tied down in there. Uh, go look for those TCMC courses, BTC three, all that stuff's out there. Use your local Mystic. All right, come check us out next time. We'll see you guys later.